Hello and welcome to Too Fast, Too Forever. There's all kinds of family. We chose this one. This is episode 58, Ford v. Ferrari Pit Stop, or, Joe, as it's been marketed around the world, Le Mans 66. Mm. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe, too. And this episode is brought to you by Bondurant High Performance Driving School. They want you to drive better. They want you to be a better driver. It sounds simple enough, but Bondurant High Performance Driving School has pulled out all the stops to get you there. Everything they do is geared towards instilling the Bondurant method within you. So shout out Bondurant Driving School. This is actually like one of the first sponsors that you, that you kind of set up, huh? I reached out because I read, this is the this is the backstory, dear listener, that Christian Bale took race driving lessons at this school as he was learning to become 10 miles in this movie. Yeah. We'll talk about all that after the break. He wanted to become a better driver, and so he went to the Bondurant High Performance Driving School. As you just heard, they want to make you a better driver. Instill the Bondurant method in you. Christian Bale's instructor... And film stunt coordinator Robert Nagel said, quote, he's hands down the best actor I've ever trained. Wow. I'm just hoping that you and I can come so- sort of close. Yeah, hopefully. Maybe we can beat his, like, test track, like, his his track times when we go there. Oh, on the perfect lap? Yeah, we'll complete the perfect lap. Well, we'll be talking about that after the break. So if you have not gone to see Ford v. Ferrari in theaters, it's been out for two weekends now as you're listening to this. Go do that. Uh, no spoilers in the front section, so if you want to hear the beginning... Totally fine. We'll get to that when we get to that. But first up, Joe, extracurricular activities. We're recording a second episode since we put out the last episode, yes. if that makes sense. So there's, it's a tighter window. There's not been a ton of time for things. As such, we don't have any emails. There's one email thing I want to talk about, but it's going to be kind of a shorter intro segment just because of the way the schedule aligned. But since we last recorded, what have you been up to? Nothing. I've been taking... And you are really living up your life this this November. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a no do-nothing November. Like, no shave November, but, like, no fun November. We're hanging out next weekend. We'll talk all about that on the next one, I'm sure, this weekend. Coming. Oh, this is also, I just want to say, in relation to that, this is our Thanksgiving episode, because this comes out Thanksgiving week. So, is. Happy, happy Thanksgiving. Th- Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. No, I've just been watching sports, laying low. Um, I went to go see the movie this weekend, and that was about it. I pretty much stayed in the house. Otherwise, uh, we had a party for one of our coworkers that's leaving. I know that I have a busy couple weekends coming up, so like I've been saying, I'm planning to just lay low until I have to like you know be a social person. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes. But then this this weekend before Thanksgiving, I forgot. I forgot the uh, the monumentous occasion that yeah. we will be talking about next episode. For sure. For sure, for sure. you and I will be hanging out this weekend. I I didn't know if you were talking about me and you, or just like the royal we or something, but I was like, oh, right, yeah, no, now, yeah. (laughs) Both. Yes, indeed. Yes. So I saw on Saturday three films in the cinema over two movie theaters. Why'd you change theaters? Well, because I saw this, and then I saw the new Charlie's Angels, which I did not love. Okay. Kind of disappointed by it. I mean, I didn't expect anything great, but it it was just kind of bland, and I wanted to like it, did not. But then... I met up with a patron of the show, Melissa Lydum, and her sister and her boyfriend. We went to see Last Christmas, the new Amelia Clark, Daenerys Targaryen Christmas movie, which is cute and dumb. Okay. I think you would like it because it's just, it's kind of a, a higher production budget Hallmark 
Christmas yes. movie kind of thing. That was true. When I saw the previews for it, that's what I thought. And she kind of seems like a stand-in for Rachel McAdams in this. Oh, a little bit. You yeah, could, yeah, like, yeah. just replace them. They kind of have the same, like, wholesomeness kind of thing going on. Yeah, she's kind of like TV's... Well, I guess not even... That's that's not even true, because Rachel McAdams has been on TV. I was going to say she's TV's Rachel McAdams, but Rachel McAdams was on True Detective, yeah. and Amelia Clark was in Terminator. Exactly. Not the new one, but the last one, so... You know, a British... Is Rachel McAdams British? Mm, I don't think so. No, a bo- can- Canadian. Oh, Ryan so Amelia Gosling. Clark is just uh, British Rachel McAdams. I really like both of them. So, I mean, I, no complaints here. Yeah, when I saw it, I just thought that she, like, I was like, oh, this could easily be Rachel McAdams in this role. They, like, kind of, like, made her more homely. You know what I mean? Like, she's not, like, just jaw-droppingly gorgeous. They kind of, like, toned down Rachel McAdams in a lot of well, these yeah, movies. Well, yeah, because her, her character in this movie is just, like, a train wreck. Like, she has... Uh, her life is a mess because she's had medical issues and she's sort of trying to make sense of her life since she she got better. And so there's there's a reason she's... But she's still beautiful. I mean, she's still dolled up in the movie at certain yeah. points. But uh, yeah, her character is definitely a mess in this movie. And so she doesn't always necessarily look... Her hair is frizzled and frayed, oh. frayed and frazzy oh. and stereotypically beautiful woman making her look a little bit of a mess. Be like, yes, oh, exactly. Ooh, she's like... Acting she's choice. She's still stunning, but, that, but they just like tone it down so she seems like approachable. And then yesterday I watched the Vikings. Who boy, come back. So it lasts five years. So again, as, we, as this comes it's out, there's been a whole wildly. other week of football. Yes. Vikings are on a bye this upcoming week, so there's no new news there. But in the last five years, I don't know if you saw the yes, stat yesterday. In the last five years... Teams down 20 at the half were 0-99. Yep. Vikings down 20 to nothing at the half, won 27-23. Combo breaker, you know what I mean? It's a uh, Hidden vig, man. On a long enough timeline, if something doesn't happen, it's bound to happen, right? It doesn't matter whether you win by 4 or by 24, winning is winning. <laughs> this is an argument that we have a lot when we talk about sports. The whole, like, winning is winning thing is true to a point. Like, my friends will be like, winning is winning. And you're like, yeah, but your team looked really bad. Like, I get that you won, but you played bad against a bad team. Like, I don't feel confident in those kind of wins you know what i mean like i didn't watch this game so i'm not commenting on this i'm commenting in general. yeah no i don't want to devolve this into an entirely sports-based podcast even though it's quickly becoming that the defense looked two-thirds great and then one-third terrible and so they'd give up a big play or a big penalty yeah. and that would just you know just sustain the drive and the broncos would put together some kind of points there and then on offense the vikings just went three and out so they couldn't get anything there's no momentum on offense so it just they didn't yeah. look great on either side of the ball either halftime adjustments are just like guys like we got to fix this and then they just manned up in the second half and they just That's took awesome. care of business yeah so thank god i also wonder like it's kind of i don't know if it's a all sports i think it's probably an all sports thing but like the trap game right because they have the bye week coming up here they're the at game, home against yeah. a bad team mm-hmm. they're probably like looking ahead past that yep. just like you know we're just gonna knock them out and go on even a bad nfl team is filled with like very talented athletes much better than most of us so this we talk about this a lot we talk about like team building and and there's a lot of hidden factors that go into this this is why you know building a a giant roster built based on talent doesn't always work. There's hidden things that come into play, especially like, you know, these are real guys with real lives. Like they got a week off, you know what I mean? So like, they're thinking about what am where am I going to go next week? And like, just those little things when you're playing at such a high level, like can throw off your whole team and rhythm and everything like that. So I also do want to say, uh, just like to, to bring it back to sort of ostensibly the point of the podcast, just like when you're building a team to rob a bank in, in Rio, you need, you can't just have, 
12 doms. High-flying driver. Yeah, you can't right? have like, You need doms. a chameleon. Exactly. You need yeah. a chameleon. You need a guy that's good with the, the, the tech guy, with gears, circuits. You need a whole team. But yeah, there's not been a whole lot otherwise going on. Like you said, this weekend is going to be have some, some fun stuff going on. Yep. And then it'll be Thanksgiving weekend. Yep. Let us move on, Joe. So I said we have no new emails right now. Okay. I don't think we have any other new reviews. If you have not left a, a review or a rating, even a rating, don't even have to give words. Just give us five stars on iTunes. That would be very wonderful of you. If you read a review, Joey will read it on air. True. I do want to say, though, we got one update, and this is very exciting. So tying into the the Thanksgiving hashtag thank you patrons from last week, tying into just our overall gratitude to people who listen to this and support us online, uh, we got a fourth person. We got Nick Burris bumping up his pledge. So now we've got four... The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, oh. I'm going to call them. Oh. They're all the $10 tier, and they each get to pick a movie for next year. None has picked the movie yet, so if you're out there... So but we got a the special shout-out. Jake Freer, Ben Milliman, Nick Burris, Alex Ellen, and all four of them are going to get to program a movie for either lap six or lap seven. They know the themes. Okay, they know them. Everybody else does not. I think it will be tough to pick between the two. They're vastly different, but also, like, interesting. You know what I mean? So Well, the first one is a very wide scope, breadth, wide et cetera. Net. Yeah, to cast. Nick is very excited. He's, he messaged uh, once on, on Patreon when I sent him a note just saying, you know, thank you so much. And he's, I think, particularly happy, particularly excited for the first one, the first, the lap six theme. And so I think he's probably going to pick one okay. from there, but I don't know. So what I'm saying here, if you go to TooFast2Forever.com, if you support the $10 a month tier, you can pick a movie every year that we cover on one of these episodes. Mm-hmm. So if you want to control our lives or TV shows or other content or an activity or whatever you want to do, TooFast2Forever.com. Shout out to, again, Jake Freer, Ben Milliman, Nick Burson, Alex Ellen, and as well as Cassie Wilson over there for yes. supporting us on Patreon. Thank you all so very much. Thank you very, very, very much. That'll be fun. And you guys heard the first Pit Stop uh, episode of Brick Mansions. So yes. that's what in the the breath of what you will get. Mm-hmm. So I hope we did that justice. I I liked Brick Mansions. I think we did it justice. Justice for Ben. Hashtag <laughs> justice for Ben. <laughs> I was trying to think if like if if the Patreons were characters, like beyond the character quiz, like who would they be? I feel like we know them from the emails, but I don't know if I know them well enough to classify them as a character. Same. same. That's what I was thinking too. Obviously, you know, part of the family, part of the crew. They would have been in in five you know helping heist but oh for sure i don't know if i could i could pick them like you know who got what who who's good with circuits these kind of things yeah we only know about them like what they've told us like we don't know them on the day-to-day and i feel like knowing who a character is like knowing how they would specifically answer those questions i always talk about you know my friends as seinfeld characters like my friend zach is Definitely George. Like, as much as he doesn't want to admit it, like, he would be... Everything that George does, Zach has done or will do. That's how it kind of falls, so that's why... But, like, you, you know, he would never tell us that. Like, that's not what the character he's going to pick that he thinks he is. So, you, yeah, there's a little disparity there. Because there's the, the idealized version, the yes. aspirational version. Yes. And then there's, you know, what you perceive, who you actually are. Yeah. Like, I want to be... Mr. Nobody, but I am. I know that I am <laughs> Amia. Yeah. Like I want to be a Ravenclaw, but I'm a Hufflepuff. It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing, man. And we've come to a very great realization that, like, my sister and Rachel, like, had to sit me down and we're like, you know, you're Slytherin, right? I think my sister is too. I think she's proud of it. I think she's proud. No, I mean, like, I was actually listening on this week's Comedy Bang Bang, which is last week as you're listening to this. They were talking about the different houses. I don't remember why it came up. They made a reference, and they were talking about how J.K. Rowling kind of like put her foot in the mouth a little bit because she was like, this one house is basically 
the bad guys. It's like, well, now a quarter of all these caves are bad. Like, they can't all be bad. Yes, but, exactly. Uh, they also, they agree with me that they were basically saying, if you self-identify as Gryffindor, you can fuck right off. Like, because you just, nobody is. Like, it just, yeah, what does exactly. that even say about you? That you're brave? Like, there's no, there's no character <laughs> traits there. You know, Hufflepuff are, you know, hardworking and loyal, Ravenclaw intelligence. Slytherin is just sort of motivated, right? Yes. Like, they're just driven, which I don't know if that necessarily... Uh, sort of describes you. No, yeah, they were they were saying it's more like an evil motivation. Yeah, like and the, and they like had a, and I was like, you know what? Like I can see it. A huge asshole personality wise, like that's. So you're they're just saying that you're Draco Malfoy. Yeah, they're just saying like I'm annoying, I'm bothersome, a douchebag is what they were they were just letting me know that like. All so it's a negative association. It was okay. it was definitely a negative association, but I was like, you know what? I can take that. That's true. It is like I, if I don't deny it, I'll accept it. Cool. I mean, not cool, but cool. Yeah, cool. I mean, you know. well, hey, man, my sister and Rachel had to come together and, like, be like, sit me down. Like, they have to sit you down. They're like, hey, we've got some, <laughs> we got we got some, some news, for, news for, you. for you. I don't know what cl- like what, what house you thought you were in, but it's wrong. <laughs> what house did you think you were in? I don't know. I, like, teetered back and forth and thought about it and was like... And then, like, I got old enough to a point where, like, I didn't self-associate with any house. When I was a kid, obviously, like, like you want to be in Gryffindor, but I was like, that doesn't feel right. It, like, even then I had, like, doubts about it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think I ever picked one. Yeah, everybody wants to be a Gryffindor. True. Nobody really is. I think the, uh, like, it's the expanding brain meme, right? Like, it's like, I want to be Gryffindor. And then, like, a little bit more is like, no, I want to be Ravenclaw. Yeah. And then a little bit beyond is like, no, I'm accepting of Hufflepuff. And it's like, beyond that, it's just like, no, I know that I'm a Slytherin. Exactly. Just, you know, that's that's just, exactly that's my what it is. Yep. That's precisely what happened. So you're woke in just a bit, and in a, in a way that doesn't necessarily, it's not great, but it it's is not what great. it is. No, it, it, but it is what it is. That's what I'm saying. Like, and I've, and I've now come to accept it, and I was like, yeah, that makes sense, and it's fair. You guys are right in your judgment and assessment, so. Well, Joe, let us talk about the Fast and the Furious Minute, minute number 23, a minute I called, You Never Had Your Car. You never had me. You never had your car. <laughs> Granny shifting, not double clutching like you should. You're lucky that 100 shot of Nas didn't blow the welds on the intake. Almost said me. <laughs> now me and the mad scientist got to rip apart the block and replace the piston rings you fried. <laughs> Ask any racer, any real racer. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. We have reported street racing along. Oh shit, we got cops, 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 cops! There's a lot of dialogue here. I feel like this is more dialogue than we've had the last like this... five or six minutes maybe combined. And it's all Dom. It's almost all Dom. Do we think that this might be the quintessential Fast and Furious minute? Mm-hmm. I think this maybe. is it. I think that minute 23 might be the one that is like tattooed in everyone's brain. If I had to show another person one minute of the Fast and the Furious based on how we clipped them, I think 23 would have to be it. I actually, so here's an idea what we could do, and I don't know, I think, we probably both agree that it's the best one so far, but on IndieWire.com, which is a uh, film and TV review site, mm-hmm. this is actually something I'm going to bring to even Mr. Mike Manny, even resident historian does not know yet. Ooh. I don't know that he listens to our podcasts at all anymore, because he messaged me today, he's just like, have you ever seen the movie Chocolat? And I was just like, no, but Kyle and Joe just talked about it. And he's like, oh, cool. I was like, ah, all 
right. Fair. No, man. I don't expect anybody to listen. But yes, we did just talk about Shock a lot on uh, yes. foodie films not too long ago. But um, I want to bring this to Viva Pod Vegas. So if Mike is listening to this, it's not. I don't know. You know, this is a Sluicy that he, he, I haven't even brought to him yet. I'm just going to say in person next time we record, which I guess will be okay. in a few weeks. On IndieWire, they have a, at the bottom of every post about movies, they have a question that just says, what's the best film currently in theaters? So like every week Ooh. when they have like a bunch of film critics and stuff, like write things and they send out like a survey or whatever, then yeah. they all just, you know, nominate. And so like right now it's Parasite because Parasite's like one of the best movies of the year. Parasite's currently in yeah, theaters. Everybody so it's just, said it's this. Parasite. You have two and I, I need to go see yes. it, but I was obviously going to see Ford versus Ferrari for this first. But yes, I'm planning on seeing So for, for, I want to bring this to Viva Pod Vegas because I want to say, you know, what's the best Elvis song that we've had in the movie so far? Oh, okay. But we could do it here too if you want. And this could just sort of be a, uh, is it as good as Minute 23? Like, what's the best Fast and Furious minute so far? And it probably would be this one, right? It's probably this one. Like, Nobody Likes the Tuna, He's So Beautiful might be like second right now, but... And I don't know if we're going to get anything that tops this one is the problem. You mean in any movie or just this movie? In any. I think that this is the this is the moment. How many times have we seen this? If you think about the movie, you think about this scene. Dom with his hand, like, almost had meat. Like, that's the whole... This is the whole Fast and Furious universe in one Dom monologue. Yeah, minute five, I think, is... What was that one? Uh, that's when he orders the tuna sandwich. Yeah, he's he's so pretty. <laughs> No, no, that's not that one. That's I know. minute eight. I'm just saying. Like, minute eight is that he's beautiful, yeah. and then that's when actually minute eight. I think up till this point, minute eight was probably the best one because that's Jesse saying, "Ah, oh, he's beautiful." Leon saying, "I like his haircut." Then Yo try Fat Burger from now on, and that's the Watch Your Back. Yes, that's when the song kicks in. Like that's pretty good. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, that's top tier. Because I know I know what we've covered so I far, but Nos. it's hard to break down. I need down. Nos is a pretty good one. Yeah, but it's not. On, I think it's a different tier. It's a different tier for sure. It's a pretty good one. I'm saying, but like this is way up there for right now and considering we had like th- the, the three minutes of driving i thought would have been like much cooler and higher up there but they're really not when you break them down minute by minute minute 14 which we called i smell skanks that's when dom and brian talk to each other for the first time yes that's when i think or maybe not the first time but it's when brian puts up his car to get in the race i think that's again maybe a tier down below but that's one of the better ones True. so far agreed yeah yeah, this is probably it. So I think right now the best uh, the best one so far, twenty three. You never had your car because in this one, as you just heard, Dom puts Brian in his place, mm-hmm. and then the cops begin to approach and they scatter. Everybody scatters. Yes. So it's a very simple minute. It is like if you talk about it like that, just the acting, the inflections, the movement, the fl- the camera work with Dom circling the car, popping the hood, talking to Jesse, talking just various extras, just like yeah, Can't like him drawing it in the crowd and getting the crowd hype about it and like i like seeing the crowd's reactions when you watch this one over and over again he just commanding the scene so well that it's like this yeah. is like top tier dom acting in in these movies this is also the first time in several minutes that we have a new song in here we have ditched the fuzz by bt off of the original score for the movie yeah it depends upon the way that you look at the minute because it's it's a simple minute in that not a lot happens but a lot of character stuff a lot of fleshing out of who dom is how he views the world all of that happens so in terms of our latest the trivia question what do you got i I have two here the first one is just a yes or no and i think it's an it's an easy (laughs) one like it's kind of a uh do you want to just get a, a question right in the quiz the question just is winning winning yes or no the answer is yes but i think the the second one i have here is a little bit better when is a win not a win and this both correlates the movie or combines the movie and it combines the tweet that we've talked about a couple times now <laughs> when you win by an inch when you win by a mile 
when you win by a CM, when you win by a KM, or never, winning's winning. Yeah, I like the second one. That one's pretty good. It's fun. It's still an easy... It's a, it's That's an easy question. That's a gimme. Maybe, like, an inch, a mile, and then, like, a foot, a KM. You know what I mean? To throw it off a little bit. Like, don't give two metric answers how do you feel about that people are gonna know this is again a very easy question it is but i was i was just trying to make it a little bit more difficult you know like if you win by an inch you win by foot you win by a mile you win by a kilometer everybody's gonna be like what the kilometer doesn't fit here but it's like never winning is winning so it is an easy question but if you you might get tripped up if you put the kilometer in the fourth position there they're like oh yeah definitely you don't win by metric i was like revisiting this because i wanted to to see specifically how dom is shredding brian right because the whole point of this monologue is to tell is to show that brian doesn't properly know how to drive the race car that he had he was he was pointing out that he was a buster and like was just listing all of the ways of dumb shit that he did while driving to show that he's just being a poser like he he doesn't deserve to be there his car might be nice it might be fast but he's not the right one to drive it and being a good driver means a lot more to dom than having a fast car right so like i think that's what's at the core of this he's trying to show that like you know your inner character means so much more than what people are perceiving you as and any asshole can go out and build a car or buy a car or even race a car but if you're not a good racer technically with the individual aspects of the racing then you're you're no better than anybody else here hey you're just a buster you're just a buster now i've been thinking about like the car things that he's that he's saying so i've never done double clutching right i don't know what it is okay when you're driving usually like Clutch in, first gear, right? Clutch out. Clutch in, second gear, clutch out. Like, I'm skipping some steps in between, but that's essentially Mm -hmm. it, right? I wanted to look up, like, what's the logic behind this? Because of how the transmission pieces move, what they're saying is you put the clutch in, you shift the car into neutral, you let the clutch out. When the car's in neutral, all the transmission pieces start spinning at the same speed, right? Mm -hmm. Where typically, like, they're not spinning at the same speed. Then when the car's in neutral, then you match the RPMs of what you think the the next gear is going to be up or down, you know, based on what it is, then you put the car into gear. So you're adding an extra step where you put the car into neutral in between your gear shifts. A lot of modern cars, possibly even the ones that they're driving at the time, have, like, servos in them that match this speed for you so you can't fuck up the clutch. Because, like, they're saying that there's more wear on the clutch if you go straight into gear like downshifting or upshifting because the things weren't moving at the same speed. So they're just trying to like reduce wear on the clutch. He's saying that Brian's a bad driver and when he was doing it, he was being shitty to the transmission. And that's what he was like, oh, you don't even know how to do this because this is like a a more advanced technique that would be softer on his transmission. I think nowadays, like you probably wouldn't even need to worry about this and i can't imagine even back then you really need to worry about this there's also like a a camp that says that like you're using the clutch twice as much by putting it into neutral so you're wearing the clutch out more i don't know i think they're just like flexing their uh car muscle a little bit on this one it's nothing that i ever like learned or heard somebody talk about before this movie right i wasn't hanging out with racers you know i knew people that were driving manuals all the time and nobody was double clutching so i was like what the fuck are they talking about and it's like more of like a trucker thing that the the race enthusiast kind of adopted because i did think that there was like a way that they were already matching it i'm still not sure if it was in these cars that they have here but there probably was 
Like, it's not, like, that old, right? Well, that's all cool, since I have absolutely zero whatsoever to contribute to that. I do want to point out here that um, we preached for a while that we thought Hobbes could be gay. Hobbes is, you know, into Hattie at the end of Hobbes and Shaw. Yes. Kara pointed out that when Dom says, "I I appreciate a good body regardless of make, she's like, that just means he's bi or pan or whatever, right? Which is very interesting, and it's a perspective that we didn't think about or talk about. So what I was thinking in this scene is that as Dom is exerting his power, like he's clearly the alpha here, yes. you know, double alpha, Roman coming later, but he's the alpha in here, like everybody loves him, everybody wants to be him, all the women want him, whatever. It looks like, I mean, and, and this is, again, we've talked about this every time we talk about the first movie. Yeah. Brian just looks so in love with Dom. This is a total, like, Dom sub, like literally Dom sub relationship where he's just like, please daddy, yes. like just, just belittle me in public. Like I want, like he could not be happier. Like I guess just being there, but like just getting chewed out by Dom. You know what I mean? Like he is yeah. just, it's like notice, so notice happy me, to be being humiliated in public. This is like, this feels like a very specific Brian fetish in this moment where he's just like, oh, embarrass me. Like tell me all the things, like tell me I'm a bad boy. I don't even think it's that. I think that he's, he's enjoying that he's getting Dom's attention. Because in this world, like, everybody's kind of fighting for Dom's attention, right? And he has a very small circle. So by him just getting him to address him or and make fun of him, he's having him being acknowledged by Dom. But he does. He really enjoys it. And, like, he just, like, so in the moment and just, like taking it all in he's excited he's like he's still smiling dom's shitting on him but i think i think it's more of of him loving the attention from dom than it is wanting to be uh shit on by dom yeah i mean i think either way right it doesn't really matter either way but i'm saying like yeah winning's winning winning is winning is winning he's getting something from it you're right but i just think that from my perspective that it's just like he's he's more just wanting the attention any kind of attention. if it would have been good attention and he'd have won he would have loved that too right like it yeah it's not specifically like he wants to be told that he's a naughty boy i mean it could be i think there is more to it than that but like if you look at like if you're looking at these individually just like 60 seconds at a time yeah it's like this guy loves getting yelled at he does he really does he loves getting yelled at he loves getting punched he's gonna love getting punched again any other thoughts about minute 23 before we take a break and come back and talk about Ford v. Ferrari? No, no, I definitely not. Um, I ragazzi. Think... Ragazzi. They said ragazzi a bunch in the movie, too. Did you hear them? No, but I assume that they, I, I, I sort of assume that they would. We'll talk about that after the minute. This is, I think this is the best minute. That's the whole point that I wanted to say. Minute 23, top tier minute, Mwah. chef's kiss. Il boche. Il boche. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. Pit Stop, Ford v. Ferrari Ragazzi. This episode is brought to you by the Bondurant High Performance Driving School. On a bespoke 1.6-mile track on a 60-acre facility designed by world champion driver Bondurant himself, classroom facilities are there to instill some car control basics. A full line of Dodge SRT vehicles to choose from depending on what course you take, all of which have fully functional ice-cold air conditioning for your complete comfort. Bondurant School of Racing. And they have Dodge products, which is really cool. That's a little nod to Dom, right? Dodge v. Ferrari? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, I gotta say here, before we even talk about the movie, right there in the title, American Muscle, 
versus imports. And you got you got to take American muscle, baby. <sighs> um, <laughs> no. I think, so what's, what's interesting <laughs> about this movie is that it somehow makes both the people at Ford and the people at Ferrari simultaneously look like Douchebags. the biggest assholes in the world. Yes. And also, like, both cool. Like, they're both... They're like, exuding You love coolness. both, and you hate both of them. Like, almost the entire movie. And that's the whole point of the story. So you, you didn't know the story. Was the story, like, surprise? I mean, I guess you could have kind of, like, figured out what was going to happen, right? I mean, I pieced it together. Like, so Christian Bale plays a guy named Ken Miles. Yes. Who, he's sort of an older guy who's, like, a racer, and he's great, but he's never really had that break. Matt Damon plays Carol Shelby, famed, one Carol of the most Shelby. famous, yeah. even, like, the closing credits, you know, one of the most famed auto designers, like, race car designers mm-hmm. in history. Yes. John Bernthal plays Leah Iacocca, who I don't... Why do I know Lee Iacocca? It's a name of a character used in a different movie or something. It has to be. But I know this name, too, and I, I can't remember why. Is it, like, a Sopranos character or something? I think they, like... I don't They know. stole the name for something else. Feels like a big deal in the car world, but, like, it, that's not a world that I would know anybody from. Ford is kind of struggling. Henry Ford II, a.k.a. The Deuce, wants his employees to come up with new ideas how to sort of revitalize the Ford brand. And so John Bernthal plays Lee Iacocca's, like, let's get into race cars in a way that we have not yet. Let's go to Le Mans. Let's win Le Mans. Let's go embarrass Ferrari. And so they put together this team. They go to Le Mans. They lose. They come back. They retune. They re- they do everything again. They this time bring Ken Miles. They bring Christian Bale this time. Lee Iacocca has been, he's a political figure now. And he hangs out oh, with like a bunch hmm. of people. So you probably know him from that. And then they go back to Le Mans the second time, 24 Hours Le Mans, and they win. Yeah, that's the movie version of the story, but they skip a couple years in between. In my head, I sort yes. of thought, and maybe this was just, like, this is how little I know about movies when I go into them. I assumed, wrongly, that Matt Damon was going to be the racer for probably for Ford. Christian Bale was going to be the racer for Ferrari. It was going to be sort of like one versus the other. Okay. And it's kind of amazing how little we know about Ferrari in this movie, so far to the fact a lot of the Italian dialogue is not subtitled. Like, there are certain scenes, some are translated, but, like, it's the kind of movie that, like, if you watched a sort of like a, you know, maybe not necessarily a fully legal version online after it comes out, you'd be like, wait, is this missing subtitles? Like, I don't understand. Yeah, Rachel would be like, where the fuck are the subtitles after this? And you're like, oh, no, there just wasn't subtitles. There's, like, it's not, like, a lot, but there's, like, you know, four or five lines back and forth where there's just, it's not subtitled. And I think it's a choice to be like, you're not with them, like, they're outsiders, whatever, but it's still weird to, like, have... 30 seconds a couple times in the movie where you straight up, like, unless you speak a little Italian, like, straight up have no idea what, like, I mean, you kind of know, but, like, yeah, no yeah. idea what's being said. True. Very true. It's weird, but it's cool, but it's weird. It is. I agree. That, that was my baseline for the movie, because I know that you had told me last week, you know, you don't, you don't want to spoil anything for me, but, like, I thought it was going to be one versus the other, and so when, like, when Matt Damon early in the movie is like, I don't drive anymore, shout out Tej, I yeah. was like, oh, I guess... This is not the movie I thought it was going to be. You know, you went through the backbone of the story. The minor differences is that there's a three-year period in between this, right? Most of the stuff is pretty true, pretty accurate. What was happening was exactly like they say in the movie. Enzo Ferrari only cared about his racing team, right? He honestly didn't give a fuck. Like, all he wanted to do was just, like, run this racing team. And he was selling cars as a byproduct to just fund his racing team. He was building beautiful, incredible Ferraris, right? But he was just like... I just make enough of these that, like, I have money to do racing and everybody leaves me the fuck alone. Like, I, I don't have to do this. I don't want to do this, but I have to only for that. Which they say in this movie, right? Because they're like, yeah. you know, he cre- like, he wanted to create the perfect racing car. He did, and now he's broke. But, like, he has this car. Yeah, he has the cars and, like, they're worth a ton. But, like, all he really wants to do is just keep funding. Like, he's just, like, dicking around. And it's funny because, like, 
there's still like a lot of like you know race car companies kind of like this today like mclaren who was a driver in this movie as i was gonna ask is that the mclaren or is he like a father son of like the mclaren guy they took his name and he had like a mclaren racing team Right, because Ford was just going out and, like, kind of, like, poaching everybody that was great. I'm trying to, like, I'm asking basically, like, you know, when you say, like, Henry Ford, you think the guy with the Model T back in 1911. Like, I think that's yes. kind of, it's something that the movie touches on a little bit, and it's not Henry Ford the second's movie. And if it was, we would go more in-depth with here. But I feel like that character, that man, struggled to come up with an identity where he's named after, you know, one of the most, the most famous people of all time, right? And he has to yeah. try to figure out how to not only keep this business going and thriving and adapting, but also, like, live up to the legacy of his father, right? Yes. I was wondering, with, like, in that framework, is this McLaren, like, the McLaren, or is he, like, the son of, like, the fame? You know what I mean? This McLaren in the movie is the McLaren, but he also okay. died in, like, 1970. So he's not McLaren what we think of now. Gotcha, okay. Maybe the company's run by his son or something like that, but it's more of, like, he would be, like, Henry Ford of McLaren. He was the McLaren. It's, he's not around anymore because he died, like, a couple years after this movie finished. In that regard, this is the Carol Shelby. Like, this is Shelby this Shelby. Is like, this Shelby is Shelby Shelby, yeah. yeah. That was actually one really cool point. They showed you the part that Carol Shelby selling Shelby Cobras was part of the deal. Like, you came to buy Cobra because they were, like, really awesome, beautiful American-made cars. But at the same time, everybody that I know that had Shelby Cobras... They all have stories about Carol Shelby and Carol Shelby telling them stories. The guy across the street from my parents' business, he was a car collector. And he had some Shelby Cobras. And every time, like, I would go see his collection, he would, like, tell me stories of Carol Shelby. Like, like he had, like, some very rare Shelby Cobras, actual ones. Carol Shelby built, according to them, two automatic Cobras ever. One of the cars was for his wife. And I think he sold the other one. Bill Cosby wound up with the other one. Bill Cosby talked about how it was like the fastest car he'd ever driven. Eventually, I think he wrecked it or something like that. He totaled the car. So then there was only one left that was like Carol Shelby's wife's car. This guy had that automatic one. And everybody would always say like, oh, this is like a fake Shelby Cobra. And he'd be like, no, you morons. There's just one you know, everybody would be like, Carol Shelby never put an automatic in a car. But he would tell, like, all of these stories of, like, you know, meeting Carol Shelby. Carol Shelby would, like, autograph the cars. And, like, whenever he would go and see them, he'd be like, oh, how's my car doing? You know what I mean? Stuff like this. He's selling cars in the same sense that Enzo Ferrari's selling cars. But you're really buying them because you're getting a piece of Carol Shelby or Enzo Ferrari, right? You can buy them because you're like, this is a really fast car, it's pretty or something like that. But you really just want to like be part of Carol Shelby. Like, and what was interesting and it made sense was that at the end, after Ken Miles spoiler dies and Shelby's like fucked up from it, you know, his his head sales guy or whatever is like, hey, can you come out and talk to these guys because they want to buy the car? And Matt Damon, Carol Shelby is like upset still at the loss of his friends. He's like, I think he knows because like based on what you're saying, like the story, like when you buy the Shelby, you get a story or whatever, right? But like, yeah, he's like, you're not buying me like you're buying a car like you get like what your money gets is you get the car the metal. Like, if you don't you want the that, metal don't buy it yeah it's a very understandable point of view where you're coming from but it's at the same time it's like just say hi like you're, you're you're like they could buy like a really nice car anywhere you know what i mean like that's the whole point yeah, yeah and that's why it's so cool because i didn't know that this was such a known thing because i've only heard the associative stories you know zach talks about his dad i went to go see the movie with zach and zach says his dad had the only licensed Shelby dealership in California, like in the world, was in California, and his dad was like there at the time that he had oh, it. Oh, okay. So, and his dad will tell stories about Carol Shelby too, and I didn't realize that like 
even maybe they knew it or they didn't know it, but like the idea of Shelby and the idea of Shelby telling you race car stories is what you're buying. And right. for the movie to point it out was really interesting to me. Yeah. So did you like the movie? I really enjoyed the movie. Like I said, I went with Zach because uh, he wanted to go see it. We both knew the story. We loved it for its dramatization and things like that. Like it was a, f- they made a fun Hollywood film about it. They kind of skimmed over some parts, but for the most part, I thought it was great. And I love Christian Bale and I love Matt Damon in it. Matt Damon played a better Carol Shelby than I imagined he would have, but he's also just like a great actor and I think kind of underappreciated. Did you like the movie? Did you like the story? I did. The, I mean, the story was fine. I think the story, like it, the type of movie that it is, like I kind of assumed, like in the end, Ford wins. Yeah. Kind Miles wins, but he gets screwed by a technicality, and there's... This is you know, all true. But like, I'm sure it is. It just feels like, because they're telling the story, in theory, he could lose at Le Mans. But I feel like you wouldn't necessarily tell that story, or like they, would, they wouldn't focus... <laughs> like, the last 35 minutes of this movie, like, I, I clocked it, because I was just kind of curious. Like, I just checked my watch when they got to Le Mans, and I was like, oh, okay. At the end, I was like, I wonder how long that was. And it was a 35-minute... Like, the, the, the race itself, like it's the, the crown jewel, 35 minutes. Yes. And it's really really cool he could have gone and lost that's not how you tell a story you wouldn't make the movie if ford loses to ferrari like the the story is not about ford making a car that was almost fast enough right like so you assume i think that he's gonna win so he could go and lose but it wouldn't have been the last half hour of the movie i also don't think that like if he had gone and lost based on how we see the deuce and we see bb respond and like, treat him he would not have gotten to go again so like you know when he goes over there he's gonna win essentially right so like but it he was does they went over they lost for three years with the ford gt40 and they won the fourth year that they went okay they kind of kind of flash it for you like when they first start out it's like 63 right and that's like they're like that's when ken miles gets the car off the airplane and is like this thing sucks whatever and then ken miles hears them lose once remember because he's like oh the gearbox it's running too hot, whatever, whatever. Well, yeah, so, like, in, in the movie, like, that, they treat that as the first year. Because, like, the whole time, they're like, you know, he's going to go. He's our guy. Matt Damon's like, he's our guy. He's the one who's going to go do it. Yes. And then they're like, he's not a Ford guy. We want someone with Ford ideals. Ford, you know, who embodies the Ford brand. Yeah. He doesn't go. Then that's when he's back home listening to the race on the radio. Well, he's that's working when his wife cars. shows up and they yeah. dance in the garage at the, you know, at the, at the airport hangar or whatever. Like, the movie simplifies it, which I think makes sense. That you don't have, like, three or four years of iterations, right? Yeah, you don't want to see them lose multiple times. They're working on the cars. They go back again. Same thing happens. All the cars die. They lose again. And I think it was the third year that they go back, you know, then they finally beat Ferrari because all the Ferraris die that year. And that's when you get the picture. And right. the whole Ken Miles did have to slow up. This, All of these things, like, those parts are true. But it was, it was like, way more grindy than... The movie kind of does it with the Ken Miles listening to it on the radio. But, like, they were, like, pissed at Shelby. Like, they thought that they could just, like, go and win. Ferrari's been spending his whole life trying to win Le Mans and is, has won it for years and years and years. It was a daunting task. And it was, like, really cool how they kind of just, like, band together. And, like, it was cool that they show you that, like, Ford wanted to just throw money at it, right? Which was his problem with Ferrari, too. Like, all he wanted to do was, like, he's like, okay, like, I need a race car. I'm just going to go buy Ferrari. And Ferrari's like, well, fuck off. Like, some things don't have a price tag. And then, like, his, like, response to beating Ferrari and Le Mans is like, okay, I'm just going to throw a ton of money at it. Carol Shelby's like, no, like, you need the right drivers. And, like, all of these other factors like you need to build a team and a and he's 
he's like, okay, fine. And, like, when he finally caves and gives in to Shelby and, like, lets him, like, run it like Ferrari would, then he, like, finally wins. The movie does a good job of setting up that, like, this is an unrealistic expectation the first year. Because when Carol Shelby and Ken Miles first sit down at that diner, and Matt Damon's like, you know, I want you to drive. I told Ford we're doing a race car. And he's like, well, how long? And man, Matt Damon says, you know, 90 days. And then, like, Christian Bale just, like, laughs at him, right? Just like, that's, <laughs> that's impossible. And I think it's in that kind of reaction where you're like, oh, like, this is not a realistic expectation. Like, you can, you can make a good car, but you're not going to make a car that's tuned well enough, that is, you know, made Durable well enough. Durable enough, yeah. Yes. And even the one that they win with, like, it's not really durable enough, like, to race the 24 hours. And they're like, they have to swap out the brakes. And it, it feels like they probably should have swapped the brakes a second time, too, right? Like, it feels like... yeah the car that is good enough to win Le Mans is still not good enough to win Le Mans without, like, kind of major major work in the middle of the race. This, so This is something that's really cool to me and something that I think about a lot. We think of something that we don't know about, right? Like racing teams, engine designing, race car mm-hmm. engine designing. And you imagine that there has to be the smartest, most capable engineers working on this. Biggest brainiac designers possible, and that everything has gone through rigorous testing, as sound and safe as possible. In reality, a lot of the times the things that we're seeing are just the people that are crazy enough to try something. Yeah. Like, I always imagine, like, oh, yeah, like, when you have a racing team, like, all these guys have to clear it, and there's all of these, like, protocols and things like that. And it's just like, no, who's the asshole that's, like, crazy enough to try to drive it as fast as possible? That's the guy that's going to win. Like, not the guy that, like, has the best... You know, all of this stuff plays into it, but it's you're not going to win just purely on aerodynamics or purely on engine design. You have to be nuts enough, and, like, it's just cowboys that are just out there, like, yeehawing their way through life that are winning these things. And I'm like, wow, that's fucking real. I keep forgetting. that Even back then, I'm like, oh, okay, like, these were, like, the most well-designed engines possible. And they're probably not. There's an element of magic and timing to it, too, that, like, you, yes. can't, just, you can't just go in there, cowboys, like, guns a-blazing. Like, you can get there, maybe, with that, but you can't win with that. It also has to be, like, where Ferrari messes up, right? Or where, like, yes. this happens and this happens and this happens. Like, there has to be a little bit of the coalescing storm. of yeah. all the magic. Yeah, exactly. The perfect lap. We envision them to be much more sophisticated than they are. They're driven by, like, the same emotions that you and I have. Like, Ferrari's just, like, fuck Ford. And, like, Ford's, like, fuck Ferrari. Seeing them from the perspective that they are just normal people. This is, like, 63. So Enzo Ferrari's still alive. That's not that long ago. There's people alive now that you talk to that were probably, like, talking to these people. When I see Shelby, Shelby now is, like, such, like, a big thing. But it's really not that far away from us than we think. Like, Shelby died, like, within the decade. Like, he lived a long-ass time. There were still dudes running around that were, like, talking to Shelby, you know? Like, he's not, like, this, like, figment of our imaginations. Like, Enzo Ferrari, like, Ferrari's so classic to us in our heads. Like, it feels like it's been around forever, but it really hasn't. You think about it, cars have only been around for, like, 100 years, right? Like, under 10 years, so... Yeah, that's crazy, right? So all the history from the Model T all the way up to new Tesla of some kind, right? Just, yeah. you know, going from there to there, it's been a little over a century. And so to think about all the innovation, actual innovation, but in terms of design, in terms of, like, performance, in terms of this in terms of that it's all come probably most of it in the last since world war ii right post-war yeah, probably 60s. so like 75 years the other thing that was really cool to me they go to modena to the ferrari factory and meet enzo there is that where you went exactly and it was really cool to see them being in the ferrari museum 
to go to the original factory and like to see I was like oh fuck like I was just there and like that was like a really really cool moment to me and then to go back and realize that like Enzo Ferrari was dicking around like we saw his office like so the shot that they have where he has the three like race cars lined up and he's sitting at the table his office was like back in the corner and they have his office like still roped off and like saved like Enzo Ferrari's office the office that they would have, like, first met him in there. Why do they run to the cars to start Le Mans? Is that just history? Is there a reason for that? When they, because, like, when the... So, the race in question here is 24 hours of Le Mans. Literally a 24-hour race from 4 p.m. to 4 p.m., where they just race around a three and a half, like a three, it's like a three and a half minute, like three and a half mile or something track, right? Like, it's not crazy long, but you just do that for 24 hours. Yes. So I got two questions about the actual, you know, logistics of the race. Number one, why do they run to the cars? I think it's a remnant of history. I'm not sure, but I really feel like that's just some asshole decided that they were going to run to their cars to be fair. It reminds me of when you were saying to me on Facebook Messenger a couple weeks ago about, like, why do we have open skate or whatever, right? Like, why do we have morning skate? It's because we've always had morning skate. Like, why do we do this? Yeah, we were talking about hockey. Like, why do we have morning skate when it's not a real practice, but everybody shows up and just practices? And, like, why couldn't you just practice on your own or something like that? And it's like, well, we always have this. And it's like, well, but why do we have this? It's like, nobody knows. And it's like, what if we stop this? And they're like, no, but everybody else has this and you're like what the fuck okay each team essentially has two drivers like ken miles does not drive for 24 hours does he do 12 hours or does he do more than 12 hours they were doing four on four off and they split them in half because he starts and he ends the race so i guess it's sort of like the lead and the anchor like you could probably maybe do like switch up something you know what i mean but like but if you if you go first you shouldn't also finish the race right because oh, it's like math wise because it goes one two one two one two but you could also like hop in for like the last five laps too during a pit stop what's crazy to me is that at the end you know ford finishes one two three mclaren wins on the technicality because he started from further back Mm -hmm. but like what's crazy to me is that after racing for 24 hours doing hundreds and hundreds of laps right yes it might have been simplified for the for the movie but like he's only one lap ahead like in 24 hours he's only gained four minutes on a guy like that doesn't feel like that much time you know what i mean you have to imagine that all of the Ford GTs were built by Shell. Like, they're all the same car. Yeah, but yeah, but you're also saying, like, because, you know, earlier, right, we're talking about, like, you can't just throw your money at it. And, like, I know that, like, they're buying great racers, but, like, the reason that Ken Miles is here is because he's the best in the world. So you're just saying, like, the best in the world over just the guy who's good is just four minutes over 24 hours. It's, like, you know, 124th of 115th. Like, if everything goes smooth and the pit crews are pretty much the same, if you're a good driver, how much faster are you going to be than the second best driver in the same car? Maybe a second a lap? And then do the math. It'll be like 300 laps will give you a couple minutes. Well, so if you're a second a lap, 300 laps, you'd pick up five minutes, I guess. But still, like, it feels like it should be more than that. I don't know. It just felt like over such a crazy long race in 24 hours to just be four minutes ahead or three and a half minutes ahead or whatever. I think, I think it was four, like, I think it was four laps ahead of him. It seems like he just stops and waits for the one, right? Because he just, like, basically parks in the middle of the road, sees the guys come up, and then they just go. I think, yeah, I think they said magic. I, that's sort of what I was, I guess, what I was sort of ex- assuming. Yeah, I think he said he was four laps ahead, and he wanted them to slow down his pace so that they could catch up. And then one other question about the actual logistics of it. I'm, I'm assuming it's to reduce drag, but why do they put the wool, and it's in the trailer too, I know that. Why do they tape like the string or the wool on the side of the car? Is that to reduce drag? No, they were trying to figure out, the car had airflow, airflow problems. You have to start factoring in all kinds of weird shit when the cars are going so fast that you start to create drag by like, 
not letting air come all the way through the car. They were doing a wind test, like the most old fashioned way that they were just like tying string to it to see like where airflow wasn't coming through, where it was being impeded so that they could redesign the car. And that was like one of the main reasons why they lost like the first couple years at Le Mans is they had these like giant airflow problems. Gotcha. Okay. So they were just like doing it the, the most like, you know, grade school way that you would do it. Now, you know, obviously you put it in a wind tunnel, you have the computers, whatever, whatever. But like back then you didn't have this. So they did it the way they knew how to, like the most old school way. So they're actually physically looking for like which wool blows and which wool does not blow. Yeah, that's what they were saying. And he like, and they even have like binoculars and they're like watching it and they're like, oh yeah, I see it. Like it's like right in the front okay. there. Because like I heard him say that, like I he said like, that's that's where it's going. Like he's like right there or whatever. But like I didn't know what that was actually referring to. You know what I mean? So I wasn't sure. Yeah, they're just trying to, and then they come back and then they'll like you know cut some holes in certain places or like redirect the airflow certain ways and to try to fix it, stop drag. Christian Bale was the one who got the fuck in this movie. <laughs> Yeah. And that's a great scene. Do you remember? Do you remember the scene? No. What is? When does he use the fuck? I, I always. I don't pay attention to it. Like I don't. Oh, it's when they go to the when he and his son go to the to see the new Mustang. Yes. And BB. Oh, like it's when good. He meets I'm glad BB. you brought this up. Good. Perfect timing. He meets, he, it's like it's when he meets BB and BB's like, oh, check this car out. And Ken Miles is like, oh yeah, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. And then maybe he's like, this, but this this is a fucking terrible car. And yes. then he just walks over the sun. And then you know the outside, Carol Shelby lands. He's like, oh, let me let me introduce you to Mr. BB. And he's like, ah, oh, we met. But I just love that. Like, just they're so proud of this beautiful racing car. Christian Bale's like, oh yeah, no, this is ter- this is terrible. Like, don't nothing about this. Like, it, you can maybe fool somebody, but like in terms of like yeah. being a race car, it's not. As this movie had just come out this weekend, yep. Ford just announced for the first time that they're making an electric Ford Mustang. Oh yeah, it's just they got another, they announced it yesterday on a Sunday. And did you piece together that the whole, like one of the pivotal moments of Ford versus Ferrari is them announcing that they're coming out with the Mustang and Ford versus Ferrari comes out and they announce that they're coming out with a new Mustang. They timed it so that it comes out with they had to have, right? Like this is marketing genius. I think so, possibly. I mean, they and like the I was whole... saying like this movie is doing very very well at the box office. Yes. Um sort of surprise hit. Like it's not going to make a ton of money. The importance of it. Like this is this is again like such a sort of sad state where we are. This is a podcast in which we talk about a major franchise that basically to a certain extent makes the same movie every 2 years, right? Like yeah. I know like, Exactly. Yeah. Insane. The sad state of affairs that we are in, where like a win for a studio is for an original idea to make a little bit of money, which this is going to do. It's not going to be like this runaway massive success, but a movie that's like an original story. It's not a franchise. It's not a reboot. It's not a sequel. It's whatever. It's an original idea there to do something well in Oscar season that's going to make money. And like things are just so bad, generally speaking, at the box office that this is a win. And it's kind of a bummer in that regard, but it's cool to see that people are going out. Like, I had way more people at my screening of this than there were at Charlie's Angels, and they both came out this I had weekend. A ton. And, like, Charlie's Angels tanked at the box office. Yeah. This had a bunch of people there. It's a demographic, like I was saying to you, between that movie Midway, which I'm not going to say, but Midway and this. Like, there's just older dudes going to theaters now. They don't, like, that's not who goes to movies. Like, movies are generally, like, the reason we see so many Marvel movies or Fast and Furious movies or whatever is because they're basically catering to, and again, maybe this is because if you if you make different movies, maybe other people go, but basically you're, you're catering to, like, the 13 to 35 demographic, right? And, yes. like, the people who are spending money that have, don't have, you know, familial obligations yet. They're going to go on a date. They're going to go out with friends. They're going to go by themselves, whatever. Yeah. And these are the movies that they, they care about. And then to see two movies in back-to-back weeks, Midway and this, doing well, 
if you make more of these kind of movies, maybe more of those kind of people go. If you build it, they will come kind of thing. Exactly. But also, I don't. I think that they would have known that by now, right? Like, maybe that's not necessarily the case. It's, it's cool to see a well-made, well-reviewed, really well-liked movie. I mean, we would have covered this movie even if it was getting trashed at the box office. Yeah. It fits the thematically movie in. The but it's summer. cool to see. Yeah. It's both good, it's well-made, it's probably going to get some kind of you know, Oscar buzz, whether it gets nominations or not, it's doing well, and it's a it's a well-made movie, so I'm uh, it's exciting. And the movie directly talks about, like, the demographic that came to see it, right? It talks that, like, they were hyped for it because when the boomers had hit the age of us now... Yeah, they didn't want to buy their daddy's car. They didn't want to buy their dad's car. They wanted something new and fun and exciting for them that was, like, geared towards them. And that's, like, part of the motivation behind the backbone of this movie. So yep. it's cool to see it sick coming back in a cycle like that, that we're finally hitting the age where millennials are killing everything, avocado toast, but at the same time, like, they're finally starting to buy houses and cars and stuff. An electric Mustang is something that would appeal to our demographic, right? Yeah, like, it's, the, it's the style, it's the kind of, it's the cool look, but it's also the eco-friendly and all that stuff. Yeah, so they're pandering to us now, not boomers. Okay, So boomer. it's interesting. Yeah. I liked learning that the GT40, and again, this might be not the only thing, but the 40 literally refers to clearance in terms of, like, for yeah. the race. I have some cool GT40 stories. The same car collector that had all of the Shelby Cobras mm-hmm. had an original GT40 that was a Le Mans GT40. Like, okay. one of the cars that they had run. Maybe they didn't run that one at Le Mans, because you know that they, like, ran, like, Daytona, like, the 24 Hours of Daytona and stuff like that. Now, when you think about it, these ones in the movie were, like, white. The color styling of the GT40s that's, like, imprinted in everybody's head, I don't know if you ever looked for it, but it's just, like, baby blue and an orange. Blue and orange, or one or the other? No, it's baby blue. If you Google right now, like, GT40. With a racing stripe down the middle, right? Racing stripe down the middle, baby blue and orange. When I think of it, I think of the blue, I think. I don't really think of the orange, but I have seen the orange, I think, too. In in my head, the orange, like, my dad loves the uh, the GTO, the punt, the, the judge, yes. and that's the orange car. Like, that's, in my brain, when I think of yes. the orange car, that's what I think of. No, this is, like, just orange accents on a blue car. Oh, uh, oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, I see that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this one was really cool. There was a driver named Dan Gurney, okay, who raced in Le Mans, like, around this time. I think he was, like, part of, like, the next year, because Ford and Ford beat Ferrari for, like, the next three years in Le Mans. Like, the GT40s just, like, wrecked havoc for, like, three years, right? And so Gurney was part of the driving team later, but this dude was really tall. He was 6'4", and the car didn't have much clearance, so when he put his helmet on, his head would uh, be smushed in the roof. So what they had to do is they installed this, like, bubble they call the gurney bubble it kind of looks like if you had a like a a submarine and you had like a little window that like comes out like the periscope or no oh no no okay yeah like on the side like on the side there's like Like a a little window window, like a circular window type thing it looks like that but it was like a piece of fiberglass so that he could fit in there with his helmet and the one that i would play in would be one of gurney's cars because it had the gurney bubble in it yeah, very cool yeah because there was like only you know i mean uh, he was the only driver that was too tall so they would have to put this special thing in just his cars so like he always had one that's a little bit different and you said that that was the the guy who had the shop across the street from your dad that one yeah. same guy yeah same guy he was like a super rich car collector so he had like a lot of fun cars that like i didn't appreciate until now but like i would like just go around through his collection he had like Four or five Shelby Cobras, including a GT350 that's kind of like Eleanor from Gone in 60 Seconds. Mm-hmm. Eleanor's GT500, he had a GT350. Some of the like Shelby, like the classic Shelby Cobras, 
like the blue ones with like the round bodies and stuff like that. He had like one of the Shelby racing cars because like Shelby was building cars that people could buy that like drive on the street. But then he was also like he had his racing team. So he had one of his cars from his racing team too. Also, he had some of the Ferraris, very similar racing Ferraris to the Le Mans times. It was cool. Very cool. Oh, in the movie, when when Ken Miles' wife drives when they're driving home from the grocery store and yes. he tells her about everything and she goes, like, she kind of has that ballistic scene where she's just like, you know, why are you hiding this from me? You're trying to make me happy or whatever. It kind of reminded me a little bit of the first movie where we see Mia drive. You know, Ken Miles is this great driver. We don't really know much about the wife at all. But you've got to imagine that unless she really doesn't care, unless she takes like an active interest not do what her husband's into she's yes. probably like a really good driver too and i thought it was kind of a cool scene especially trying to relate these to the fast and furious a little bit to see kind of like mia just being around dom as a she's good a driver like she's still kind of she's got that that racer in her which i thought was kind of cool i think that is really cool and i think that's just like the natural progression of a relationship like we were talking about before even if rachel doesn't care if i sit here and talk about cars enough to her at her She's going to absorb some of it. Yeah, I can imagine that Ken Miles' wife was probably a little bit of a speedster, a little bit of a driver as well, just just by association. Like, she's had to have gone to the track with him sometimes. And he had a garage, and she was, like, working kind of at the garage with him, right? Like, it seemed like she kind of worked, like, not, like, gearheading stuff, but she probably knew her way around a car. Yeah, probably. So I have, based on a trivia and then an idea that I have, I have three ideas for things that we could do for the show. Cool. Number one, apparently coming out next year, which I did not know, Michael Mann, director Michael Mann, who's a very good director, is putting out a movie called Enzo Ferrari. Do you know about this movie? No, I haven't heard about it. So Christian Bale was originally set to play Ferrari, but dropped out due to concerns he had regarding getting the proper weight in time for the movie. And Christian Bale has since said, so he went from shooting Vice, where he played Dick Cheney, to this movie. And he had to drop 70 pounds. Yes. And he has since said, I think probably doing press for this movie, that he's never going to do that again for a movie. Like, that just has to be taxing on your body. Oh, yeah. That's not good for you, so. Even with, like, the, you know, the best trainers in the world and the best dietitians and the best this and that, and, like, and knowing your body, like, because he probably knows his body in a way that most people actors or otherwise don't just because he knows how to bulk up or how to trim down right even with all of that ability and that knowledge and that wherewithal like it's got to be exhausting he lost 70 pounds here and matt damon said he asked him like you know how do you do it he's like i just don't eat and which i guess is you know pretty pretty straight so matt damon like you know congratulate you know talked about how like how dedicated he was on set right like he was just like yeah you know, I can't believe, like, he just, like, he was like a monk, he said. Like, he was, like, he was monkish. He said that he's no longer going to, you know, either bulk up or, you know, cut down wildly for movies anymore, I think, just because, again, too much it's work, too or, much stress on the yeah. body or whatever. He was worried about getting up in weight to time to, to play Enzo Ferrari, so now they uh, replaced him with Hugh Jackman. So sometime next year... Interesting. Hugh Jackman as Enzo Ferrari. That's very interesting, right? I think so. I mean, I don't really know much about Enzo Ferrari outside of this movie, really, the one that we, we just watched, but... He was just uh, like- classic Italian But yeah, so whenever that comes out next year at some point, we'll have to do a bonus pit stop for that. So that's one thing, one idea. Okay. There is also apparently a documentary that Adam Carolla and Nate Adams made. You might know about this. It's called The 24-Hour War, and it feels like a documentary version of this movie. I watched one of the documentaries on Le Mans 
and Ford versus Ferrari with Zach. There's been a few, so I don't remember the title of which one. When I saw that in the trivia, I was like, oh, we could cover that for this, but I feel like we wouldn't learn a lot more. Like, we would learn, like, oh, that's not how the, like, the movie said that, like, Ford v. Ferrari did it in this way, but it was actually this way, but, like, we wouldn't, like, we know yeah. the story, right? Like, even if we're only yes. 75 or 80% of the way there, like, we know the exactly. story, right? So Yeah, the part of the story that I remember is the part that was in this movie. Like, when I was like, oh, do you not know the story? It's a fun story. This was the part of the story that I knew. And even there was, like, pieces that Zach and I were like, oh, yeah, we didn't remember that, like, this happened or something. Like, like we were like, oh, yeah, we forgot that Shelby was, like, one of the only American drivers to win Le Mans before. Like, you know, the movie starts out like that. And yes. you're like, that's right. Yeah. Like, that is true. I guess that's why he was, like, involved with cars and stuff. Like, that would make sense. The movie also didn't feel two and a half hours to me. Like, did it feel long? No, not at all. So I was sort of not complaining to you, but I was like, oh, God, that's such a long movie. Like, I feel, you know, it, it, I think just the kind of, like, biopic period piece about a real event it's always going to be longer but yeah. it's not like 152 minute runtime i was like oh boy but it was no it was good it was it flew by I literally you know the last like 35 minutes like the race it just it just oh also speaking about the race like maybe my favorite scene in the movie is when christian bales with his kid describing the track and he's like you go oh. here you turn into the corner like it's just it's so like it's you know a dad showing the son what he's good at what he cares about what he's passionate about but it's just like the way he describes and the way that you can tell like in this embodiment of ken miles just how passionate he is about what he's doing. It was, just, it was so great. How cool it was to have this father-son moment. Christian Bale's just a great actor, so anytime you see him do stuff like that, it feels authentic, you know? So when he was yeah. like, yeah, like, this is, see this, like, bump? Like, this is the bump that I do, and I make, you know, and he's like, do you make mental mile marks for all the things? And he's like, yeah, like, I know that I have to break here or downshift here and do all these things trying to get to that perfect lap. It's not necessarily said this way. I guess I guess it's added this way as like an insult, but when Ken Miles' wife is driving and she's like, you know, he's like, slow down, slow down. She's like, no, I got to accelerate in the turn. I want that perfect driving line. And it's just like, it feels like the kind of thing that he has said that she's just like throwing in his face. Like, just like, I can do this too. You know what I mean? It just feels yeah. like it's the kind of lingo or whatever where it's, uh, you know, I, I love that. I do too. I liked how much... Carol Shelby was fucking with Ferrari to get any advantage he could. Oh, yes. The, the, at least two things, right? Like, mildly cheating, right? Like, th- this is, these aren't, like, cheating things that you're like, they only lost the race because of this, but just, like, him fucking with them gently. Like, stealing the stopwatches. That's one, which I think is really funny. And but I the, wonder... the other one is the bigger one, which is like, oh, boy, like, that is terrifying. What, that he just drops the nut on the ground? Yeah, where they're just like, oh, no, like, we forgot to put a lug nut on the tire. <laughs> That's awesome, though, right? He he let their minds go to where it was. All he did was put a nut on the ground. That's the, the most harmless, mild tampering that you can do. Because he didn't tell them, like, hey, look at this lug nut on the ground. He just set one there, and they went full into, like, we need to check the car. We forgot this. Blah, 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 blah. Like, all the way down the line, bring the car back in in the pit stop. We need to check it. That's incredible. Th- these are my favorite kind of, like small um jokes or things you can do to your friends you just like plant something they blow it out of proportion and you're like well i didn't do anything i just set this nut on the ground you know it's not it's not a big deal it's just you know it's just a nut it's whatever don't don't yeah. think about it the other the third idea that i have is and i we it could go in a few different ways but i think the best thing to do i mean it, it depends but i want to do the 24 hours of too fast you forever and i was thinking about what that could mean we could either just do like all the movies on repeat for 24 hours but i was thinking that the nine movies we have so far it's like 18 and a half hours so realistically in three more movies we have nine 
then we have 10, and then we have like Hobbs and Shaw 2 or whatever, like we'll be over 24 hours. Yes. So some kind of 24 hours of Too Fast, Too Forever, like a marathon event. One of my favorite podcasts or my favorite podcasts, I don't know, uh, Never Not Funny every year. I went this this year, I talked about it on the, on the show, does podcastathon where they do like the 12-hour marathon sort of telethon type of thing where they have a different guest every 20 minutes and they have okay. they raise money for Smile Train. You know, in three years, who knows what this will be, but when we have 24 hours of Fast and Furious movies... You know, sort of take a page out of the 24 Hours of Le Mans and do the 24 Hours this. of Too Fast, Too Forever. And I don't know what it looks like, but if you have ideas, family at cageclub.me. I love this idea. When we get enough Fast and Furious movies that we have 24 hours of them, right? Cause, and we can have Hobbs and Shaw and stuff like that in there. We play them. We do it as drivers. And we watch them for 24 hours. And one of us has to be awake during it. And, but we both have to be in the same room. You can sleep, but one of us is going to have to be awake and we can, like do a live stream of us like dicking around eating but like one of us has to be watching the movie at all time in theory in reality that's like easy and then like you have like if we're both asleep we don't know but you know somebody can somebody can ping us call us wake us up like call us out on our shit the the actuality will be like we should both try to be awake and watch all 24 hours of them in one sitting so coming to you in uh 2022 probably the 24 hours get like delivered We'll just sit there. You can, like, we'll have a chat room. You can, like, yeah. message us while we're watching them. And we'll just, like, have it be, like, us in the TV together. And you can see us, like, as we're going through the And there will hours. be, we'll, we'll uh, flesh it out so it's, it's more of an event. But that's definitely the, the foundation, the basis of it. Is that a good backbone of it? Yeah, that's what like, I was thinking. Be, Absolutely. You don't have to, like, watch us for 24 hours. But it'll kind of be, like, all of his movies. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and you can come in and out and just, like, talk and, like, see us, whatever. But we'll sit there and we'll go through. Yeah. All of it. I like Absolutely. that. That's a really fun idea. So I have four more bits of trivia, and then I think my notes have runneth dry. Number one, during one of the scenes of the Le Mans circuit, Jackie Ix, I-C-K-X, do you know this name? Jackie Ix? No, I don't. He can be standing in the crowd. He won Le Mans six times. Oh, that's really cool. So he's yeah, just I there don't in follow the, the drivers. Like, I just know the the concept of Le Mans. Two things that tie, that tie hand in hand. Matt Damon's number one reason to do this film was to work with Christian Bale, which I think is pretty cool. And they both said that their favorite scene in the movie was their fight outside. So after Ken Miles gets like, <laughs> shunned from Ford, and he's told yes. that he can't go there, and he goes away, and then Matt Damon comes back the next year, or like after, not the next year, like, like a month later or whatever, after Ford loses. Yeah. And he's like, come back, you get a blank check, whatever, blah, like whatever you want. And then Christian Bell punches him in the nose, and then they wrestle on the ground. Uh, they the both bread. love doing that because they've apparently both done, I guess, you know, for Bourne and for Batman, they've done like months of choreography, months of stunt work to make sure that things are like great and they all like all these like lethal things and here they just they literally rehearsed for 20 minutes and then they just got on the ground and they just like wrestled because they they weren't trying to kill each other they were just trying like you know wrestle each other yeah and so they both apparently like that was their favorite scene to shoot because they just loved that so much yeah and it looked really convincing like they looked like they were pissed off brothers right like it was fun and the final bit of trivia which i uh would really have liked to see. I really like this movie. I don't know. I think that the casting in this was great. But originally, at one point, the movie was titled Go Like Hell, which I love in the... That's the name uh, of the book, I think. It's also the sign. So when, when they're like... When he's a lap and a yes. half behind, you know, Matt Damon takes the sign out there and he just says 7,000 plus Go Like Hell. Like they were trying to keep it below six. Oh, no, no, that's at the Daytona. That was at Daytona. Yeah. When he brings that sign out there. You know, they're trying to keep it under six and then he's... Matt Damon had put his company up. Like, Shelby had put his company up to... Henry Ford. He's like, if I win, I don't know if that part's true or not. And I didn't look it up. That if if Ford and 
and Shelby made a bet that if Ken Miles didn't win Daytona... I, I feel like that might have been kind of like a... I mean, it could have been real, but it also could have been like one of those like tall tales. Maybe. Like, Did you hear that Carol Shelby was like so confident that he bet his company on him? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, this is a, that's what I'm saying. This could be rumor, and even if we do find out if it's true or not, it's, it could still be to like you know backdoor rumors. Like we'll never know. They're at Daytona, and they basically it's it's the same concept. It's the 24 hours of Daytona, where it's like the Daytona 500. I'm assuming track, right? Yeah. And they're just doing that for 24 hours. And Matt Damon is so confident, not only in the car, but, but in also Ken. In Christian Bale and, and Ken Miles, yeah. that he says that if if he wins this race. You bring him to Le Mans. He's like, but if he does not win this race, my entire company, Shelby American, is yours. It, it just belongs to Ford. I had a longer owner or whatever. As the race is going, the other Ford car, I think it's McLaren maybe, is like way in the lead. Christian Bale's like in seventh or eighth or whatever. And he, he in a pit, he tells Matt Damon, he's just, I, could, I feel this car wants to go faster. I know it can go faster. So Matt Damon brings a sign up there, says 7,000 plus, go like hell. They crank it up. They go over the 7,000 RPMs. Yeah. And he just blows by everybody and he wins. So originally, the movie was going to be called Go Like Hell, and it was going to star Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt, oh. which is a uh, pretty powerhouse cast. I mean, you know, Matt Damon and Christian Bale, nothing to sniff at, but, you know, no. Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt is like another level of, you know. Fame, yeah. I would like Brad Pitt as Shelby a lot. I don't see it the other way, right? No, it's definitely Brad Pitt as Shelby and Tom Cruise as Ken Miles. I know you're, you're a cruiser, but... I think Christian Bale is the Ken Miles choice, right? I mean, I feel like we've already seen this for for Tom Cruise. Like he did Days of Thunder, where he was a NASCAR driver. You know what I mean? Like we, he's yeah. done a racing movie before, and I I'm not saying that this because it's a different thing altogether. But I feel like we've already seen this. But I just feel like Christian Bale's like more committed. He's not such a big draw that it would impede the movie. Like he is a huge draw. But if this was Tom Cruise playing Ken Miles, it would be a Tom Cruise movie. Yes, it mm-hmm. would inobsensibly be a Tom Cruise movie. Christian Bale always plays to his character, so although he's in it, it's always like he he's doing his best acting to be whoever it was. So I think it's a different film with Tom Cruise. I think that Matt Damon and Brad Pitt are kind of interchangeable, and I like Brad Pitt, so I would like to see it. I don't think Matt Damon did a bad job, but I would have been pleasantly surprised. With, like, I would have been happy with either of them. Matt Damon coming out with the sign that says, Go Like Hell 7,000 Plus. Yeah. I cannot wait until that becomes a meme, like when Trump opens the folder and shows everyone. And oh. You just put whatever mm-hmm. you want in it. Like, when we were sitting there, I was just like, Zach, I can't wait for this to be a meme. Matt, you see Matt Damon, like, run out to the track, and he's just holding up a sign that just says, like, Send nudes. You know, like, whatever the current meme is, you can just have Matt Damon running out with the sign holding it up. I, I wonder if that's going to make it, because I don't know this movie's necessarily going to be big enough, especially not in the meme culture world. Like, I don't think people who create and sort of bring memes to the world are seeing Ford v. Ferrari, but it's definitely the kind of, it's both the placement and also the kind of, the wording, like, it's like the, it's the twofer, right? Like, it's the, what he's holding yes. and what it says. Either one of those could sort of explode. Yeah, I want to, I think as soon as we get, like, when we get a digital copy of it, we can screenshot it and make our own, like, Tokyo Drift is a good movie, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, things like this, so I'm excited. I think that's all the notes that I have. I really like this movie. I don't I'm know if you, you saw did. it in like a fancier, like a 40X theater or whatever, whatever you're, I know you have a kind of a fancy screen there, but I saw it in Dolby and when they accelerated on the curve, like the whole theater shook and it was, it was Ooh. great. Like not, it's not like the shaking seats, but it's just like the loud sound. Yeah. Where like it was mixed in a way that was power. Like you could feel the power of those cars, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. Very, very cool. Any other thoughts about Ford v. Ferrari? No, I think it's a great movie. Um, hopefully everybody's seen it yet, and if you haven't, go see it. I actually don't even really think we spoiled it too much, because like we said before we recorded, like 
It's a story that if you know it, you know it. And even if you don't know it, if you've seen movies before, you kind of know how it ends. Or not how it ends, because I think the end is a surprise. But yeah. like the actual like te- technicality of it all. Like the fact that he essentially, he wins. I mean, he wins. He doesn't win, but he wins. Yeah. And I don't think that's really a surprise, right? Like that's, you, no, you that's know like that that's going to So that's what I'm saying. So like, even if you know the story, I think that you'll be happy. If yep. you like good stories, you'll be happy. If you like cars, you'll be happy. If you like Ferrari, you'll be happy. If you like Ford, you'll be happy. It's fun for everyone. So it'll probably be in the round of theaters. I mean, we are now entering kind of like there's the second wave now of blockbuster movies because for the holidays and stuff. So like yeah, Frozen Christmas 2 was. is out now and everything's like there's things that are going to be that might push it out, but it should still stick around for a couple of weeks, especially because it's doing well at the box office. So if you have not seen it, go see it. Go check it out. Support. Tell them Too Fast Too Forever sent you and uh, revel in the confusion that the ticket taker like, what are you what? What are you talking about? And you say, boy, do we have a podcast, have a podcast for you. Yeah. Next episode, as we know, Fast and Furious 6, Carabas. Yes. After that, Pit Stop. This is very special. Okay. So this Friday, this Friday is Black Friday. Yes. This Friday is also Joe and Rachel's anniversary. That is. It is Black Friday. Thank you. And we celebrate Black Friday, not the day, because it's much easier to remember. And Rachel gifted me a wonderful present of letting me just remember it's the day after Thanksgiving, so I never forget. But on Black Friday... There's a website called Vinegar Syndrome, which I think I may have talked about before. They are basically the criterion of schlock releases. Yes, that's true. Okay, yeah. They have these beautiful, like if you buy Blu-rays from there, they have these beautiful slipcovers. They remaster these movies. It's just all like really just crazy, insane. How did this get made type shit? Even like, like just like things that like are, they're so obscure that they're not even, like some of them aren't even on Letterboxd. Like some of them are just like they're, they really cull the depths of places assuming that there's no issue in terms of the timing the release in terms of being able to buy it because it's releasing this friday we are going to watch the gore cut what they're calling the gore cut the r-rated cut Mm. paul walker's first film tammy and the t-rex so this is a movie that brian covered on high school slumber party that they are recutting i don't know what the plot is but they have recut it. It's apparently a much more violent, gross, gory movie this friday vinegar syndrome was releasing tammy and the t-rex on DVD, Blu-ray, and for the first time ever, for them, 4K. So if wow. you want to join us in two weeks, Tammy and the T-Rex, the gore cut, that if all else fails and like we can't get it by then, we'll, we'll flop it with something, we'll, we'll mention it next week or whatever. But unless something goes horribly, horribly wrong, come back in two weeks for Tammy and the T-Rex, the gore cut, which is a thing that has never been seen before. They debuted, I think the world premiere was at Fantastic Fest this year. Oh, nice. But like, it's just the brand new, like, you know, it's like this movie from 20-something years ago, right? But yeah. they have finally, like, kind of remastered it. Do they... I get to guess what it's about? Go for it. Tammy and the T-Rex, a B-rate $5 Walmart bin version of Jurassic Park. Paul Walker's very young in it, right, because it's his first movie. He plays the little boy of the, like, little boy and girl in the Jurassic Park. Okay. And her name is Tammy. Tammy's his sister. They're going to call it, like, Dino World instead of Jurassic Park, okay? All the things get out, and the T-Rex is murdering everyone. And Paul Walker is hiding from the Velociraptors. Tammy learns that she can play the flute, the harmonica, and she uses the harmonica to lull the T-Rex to her, and they have a special bond, and she kind of trains it with the harmonica, and then it's like, all this wholesome moment, the T-Rex isn't all bad, but then she uses the T-Rex to, like, kill things that she wants with the harmonica. Like, when she, like, plays a certain note, she can get it to, like, sick another thing. And Paul Walker's appalled by it, and he escapes the island, and his sister just 
runs rampant with a T-Rex that she can guide with her harmonica. Okay. And that's Tammy and the T-Rex. I am almost certain that's not right. The only thing I know, I listened to Brian's podcast about it. I don't remember it, but I think, almost certainly, Paul Walker is in high school, which is why Brian would have covered it. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm pretty sure Paul Walker drives in this movie. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know where the T-Rex comes in, and then the only other thing I know is that Denise Richards is in the movie. Ooh, interesting. I think. I'm pretty sure. Interesting. The overall tone, tenor, vibe of their podcast is like, this movie doesn't really make sense. And then I think it was around that time that they're basically, it was either they knew it or it was announced around that time that like there was going to be this other cut. Okay. But I'm hoping also that there is a, a little boy on a Jurassic Park-like island and his sister plays harmonica and Paul Walker escapes. I mean, I think it's either going to be one or the other. I'm not sure which one. One of those things is going to happen. Cool. Works for me. Two weeks. Hopefully in two weeks. Again, the reason I keep sort of hedging my bets is because it comes out on Black Friday. We should have it in time. Uh, Tammy and the T-Rex, December 10th. If all else fails, just watch the original cut, and then we can just sort of fill in the gaps of what the actual gore cut is. But December 10th, Tammy and the T-Rex, the R-rated gore cut, uh, the next pit stop that we're doing here on Too Fast, Too Forever. Perfect. Joe, any other thoughts about either the minute, your favorite minute so far, or Ford v. Ferrari, or Too Fast before we... uh, Come back next week for Fast and Furious 6. No, I, I just, I really like Ford versus Ferrari. I'm glad that you liked it. Um, I'm glad that it was a movie that was really good. Because like I said, we were, I was gently nervous that, you know, with a cast that big, something could get lost. Christian Bale kind of keeps it together and Matt Damon plays an awesome part. It was a lot of fun. So I hope everybody went to go see it. Yeah. An email and family at cageclub.me let us know what you think of the movie. I'm actually curious to see if people find the podcast because this is a new release. People are going to be looking for this in theory. But I know yeah. that people find the show, find our show based on the core franchise movies. Yes. I'm curious if people who are listening, either people who have written in before or new listeners, if you found this movie, if you found the podcast because of this movie, if you want to see the movie because of the podcast, whatever kind of permutation you want to say, family at cageclub.me, let us know what you thought of it. Just say hi. You know, go back in the archives. We've got 57 other episodes. This is episode 58, so there's plenty more to listen to. But for all things Too Fast, Too Forever, you go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash too fast you forever or at too fast you forever on twitter and instagram email us family at cageclub.me check out our patreon page at too fast too forever.com still time for you to get in on the all the action all the fun for next year's two themes two laps two themed laps true help us pick what we're watching what we're doing next year in between re-watching these same movies over and over again truth come back next week for fast and furious six come back in two weeks for Tammy the T-Rex, the R-rated, the gore cut. We'll talk about all that then. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe, too. And we'll see you next time right here on Too Fast, Too Forever. Too Fast, Too Forever.